Welcome to Seize the Day with me, your host, Anna Friedson-Jor. On each episode, I invite you to seize the day with me as we'll chat about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but in a way that applies to everyone, not just the people that originally coined that phrase. Through a cerebral, cultural, and cosmic lens, we'll take a lighthearted look into society and ourselves. Settle in and let's carpe that diem. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Seize the Day. It's been a while since I've recorded and published an episode, and that is partly because I took some time off and went on vacation to Spain recently. My week away really helped me reset my mind, and I've come back feeling relaxed and refreshed. On today's episode, I'll talk a little bit more about my trip and some cultural nuances that I found interesting. For starters, the length of time that I was on vacation seems to be a little bit controversial. When my coworkers found out that I was taking a week off for a trip to Europe, nobody blinked an eye and everyone said, have a great time. My European friends and foreign travelers that I met on my trip, however, have had quite the opposite reaction. I actually just received a text message from a friend that reads, quote unquote, you didn't go to Europe only for a week, right? Some of the reactions that I've gotten have bordered on outrage at the idea that anyone could call a week in Europe a true vacation. In the United States, most corporate America quote-unquote nine-to-five office jobs give you two weeks of vacation to start out with, and then you typically can accumulate one additional week of vacation for every additional year that you stay with the company. My friend who texted me works in Denmark and told me that he receives at least four weeks of vacation time off the bat. So technically, I would need to stay with my current job for four years to receive the same amount of vacation time that most Europeans receive as part of their job offer. I know that overhauling our current vacation policy for most jobs is probably a bit easier said than done, which is sad, but it's an interesting cultural difference that came up a few times before, during, and after my trip. The main purpose of this trip was to visit my friend Jessica, who currently lives in Mallorca. Jessica and I met last summer when we worked together, and due to the unique environment that we worked in, we were able to develop a very close bond over the span of four months. She then left my job and made the exciting decision to move overseas and teach English in Spain. Now, one thing about me is if you're my friend and you're either from an exciting destination or you move to an exciting destination, the odds of me visiting you are very much in your favor. So from the moment Jessica said that she was moving to Mallorca, I told her I would visit her and I meant it. Now, I'm not going to give you a play-by-play of my trip where I tell you things like, we went to the beach and then we did this and then we did that and then we did that because an itinerary is the skeletal structure of a trip that you can look up in any travel guidebook. But for me, the flesh of the trip, 
is the people that you meet, the conversations that you have, and the feelings that you experience throughout your adventure. One thing that I was sort of briefed on prior to my trip was the fact that a lot of people who visit Mallorca are from the UK. Now, you may be wondering, why would it matter if any particular nationality has a significant presence in another country? I think there's no harm in saying that the presence of a nationality can influence the feel of a country. And as I slowly learned, the main reason a lot of people from the UK go to Mallorca on vacation is for the beaches, but also to party. We managed to stay away from any savage British parties, but apparently they can get pretty wild. There's even a town in Mallorca that's named Magaluf, but it's jokingly referred to as Shagaluf, as many Brits go there to get wasted and get laid. One of Jessica's friends, who is from the UK, told us that her brother went to Mallorca once and didn't remember most of his trip, to the point that when she asked him about Mallorca at a later time, he said, oh, I've never been there. And he was being serious. <laughs> I also discovered that this is a popular place for Germans to go on holiday, but their presence isn't as mm, in your face as it is with those visiting from the UK. At first, I was worried that being in Mallorca wasn't going to feel like being in Spain at all, and that it was just going to feel like visiting yet another country in the United Kingdom. To be clear, I have absolutely nothing against the UK. I'm actually a huge fan of the culture, and I want to visit many more places there. However, I would have booked a trip to the UK if that's what I wanted to see on this particular vacation. I will say that overall, I felt that the energy of Mallorca had not been changed that much by the presence of other Europeans, with a couple of exceptions. All of the signs in Mallorca are, from, are in Spanish, then Catalan, which is a topic that I'm not even going to touch because I don't know enough information about it. Then the signs are written in English, and this is for UK travelers, not Americans. And then finally, the fourth language that signs appear in is German. The nightlife was also pretty diversely European, as we met people from other parts of Spain, like the Canary Islands, but we also met people from Italy, Sweden, and Norway, uh, as well as other European places. I stayed in the old part of Mallorca, which I would highly recommend. The architecture was so gorgeous and charming. There were so many side alleyways that were safe enough to get lost in, day or night, and I happily did so. So many cute little shops and restaurants, which were excellent for sitting down, ordering a glass of wine for two euros, and people watching. With Mallorca being an island destination, there were an endless number of beaches to go to. Aesthetically speaking, these beaches were stunning with their crystal clear waters and gorgeous cliff backdrops. However, these beaches are very small in terms of where people can lay their towels out, and so personal space doesn't really exist. This really put things into perspective for me in regards to COVID because I remember that beaches in most of Europe reopened to the public several months after our beaches in the United States. 
it was humanly impossible for us to stay more than six feet away from anyone at the beach. And at first I thought it was cute and intimate, but those feelings went away very quickly, much to Jessica's amusement. With Mallorca's beaches being one of the main reasons why people flock here on vacation, Jessica and I had a reoccurring conversation on the topic of tanning. All of Jessica's friends in Mallorca are from the UK, and she said that tanning is an obsession for some of them in a way that she had never seen before. For some of them, it's the only thing they can talk about, and it's even gotten to a point that when they go to the beach for an all-day tanning session, they set a timer so they know when it's time to flip over. I think this is quite possibly the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, and if you do this, don't let me find out because I will literally laugh in your face and call you a rotisserie chicken. I think naturally flipping over when the sun is getting too hot is perfectly fine, but setting a timer is just too much. Jessica and I love to have deep conversations, so we tore this topic open, and in the words of Carrie Bradshaw from Sex in the City, we couldn't help but wonder, when does tanning become culturally problematic? Now, before any fair-skinned listeners start rolling their eyes about how they aren't allowed to do anything anymore because everything is considered cultural appropriation, let me say that I'm not saying that you can't get a tan. But I think that the backstory behind tanning is really interesting, as well as its significance in other cultures around the world. I also think there are definitely some problematic behaviors surrounding tanning culture that if you've been doing them, you may want to rethink what you say or do. In older times, Tanned skin meant that you were someone who spent their days working in the fields and were therefore of the lower class. In some cultures around the world, such as Japan, this is still the case. My friend went on vacation in 2019 and said it was fascinating to see the Japanese locals covered in clothing and protective sunwear head to toe to avoid sun exposure, whereas the foreign tourists were as exposed as appropriately possible in an effort to get a tan. Nowadays, having tan skin in many places is almost like a stamp of luxury that certifies that you have the time and resources to relax in the sun on vacation. But not everyone in the Western world sees having tanned skin as desirable. A few years ago, when I was living in Boston, I walked into a beauty supply store where you can buy hair extensions, weaves, wigs, and hair products designed primarily for people of color. To my absolute horror, I saw several different skin lightening creams right there on display on a shelf. I walked out of there so confused that there was even a market for this in a store for black people and slowly that confusion turned to sadness. 
I have always loved my beautiful brown skin and would never trade it for anything. And it truly upsets me that someone would want to lighten their skin tone. A few years ago, rapper Azalea Banks made headlines for bleaching her skin a lighter shade, and she's not the only black celebrity to have done this. I can understand that not everyone may feel as comfortable in their skin as I do. And for those people who may have been the victim of extreme colorism within the black community, lightening your skin tone might be a tempting option. And super quickly, for those of you who don't know what colorism is, colorism is a form of internalized racism that goes on within the black community where people who are black but have lighter skin are considered more beautiful and more attractive than those with darker black skin. On the reality TV show Love and Hip Hop, Caribbean dancehall singer Spice caused a stir when she made her skin look several shades lighter on an album cover as a way to draw attention to the issue of colorism in the black community. On a more personal level, I have had a couple of interactions where colorism was directly or indirectly apparent. I met someone who is black mixed with other lighter skinned ethnicities and is absolutely stunning. And one time, before any of us really knew the depth of what colorism was, this person was arguing with someone about someone else. And they said to this person something along the lines of, quote unquote, they prefer my light skin over your dark skin. This person that I know knew that by making that comment, they would be insulting the other person. But I don't think they truly understood the gravity of making a comment like that. And I know that in present times, they would never dare to make a comment like that. I also knew that the comment was insulting, but I also didn't fully understand the loaded meaning behind the comment because I remember at the time, I didn't have much of a reaction and was more focused on supporting my friend in this argument. I'm not one, usually, to liberally pull the racist card but I actually think that there are undertones of colorism even within my own damn family. My sister is mixed, and whenever we are around certain family members from the Haitian side of my family, they always comment on how beautiful she is, but I don't get those same comments. This is not at all to take away from my sister's beauty because she truly is gorgeous. But I've always had a gut feeling that they find her more beautiful than me because her skin is lighter than mine. And those of you who have experienced any type of racism before will know what gut feeling I am talking about. So we've got people who are dark that want to be lighter and people who are light that want to be darker. As I said earlier, wanting to be tanner is not an issue so long as it is done in a way that is not exploitative of another culture. A summer spent engaging in outdoor activities that results in a natural tan is totally fine. 
Going to the beach to work on your tan isn't a problem either, although you should be mindful of the health risks of too much sun exposure. Wanting a tan isn't a bad thing, but I think if you are tanning because you want to pass as quote-unquote ethnic looking, that is when it gets to be problematic. I've had white people comment that they want to get as dark as me. And in the past, I would joke back with them. But upon deeper reflection, this is actually not a chill comment to make. With my skin tone comes a whole history of people who were enslaved, discriminated against, and oppressed. And that history is integral to the Black experience. I know that there are many groups of people who have been through horrific oppressions, but this particular Black backstory is not something that a white person will ever experience, even with a tan. My skin tone will never fade when it's convenient for me, and I would never want it to. Like with cornrows, big butts, and big lips, there's a sliding scale of determining whether you are honoring a culture or appropriating it. And I think the same thing applies to tanning. Tanning doesn't have to be about race until you start saying that you want to be as dark as a black person. A more extreme example of fair-skinned people wanting to appear more ethnic is the modern day version of blackface, known as black fishing. Really quick, Blackface was the use of coal to appear black for theatrical performances back in the day. And often in these performances, the actors in blackface would be making a mockery of black people and their behavior. It has since been condemned as racist amongst many cultures around the world, but slowly cropping up in its place is blackfishing where social media influencers and celebrities are tanning, applying makeup, using filters on their photos, dressing, and doing their hair, all in ways to appear ethnic. Iggy Azalea, Ariana Grande, and several other fair-skinned celebrities have been accused of doing this, as Black culture is currently a very trendy and profitable aspect of society. I was reading a CNN article and journalist Juana Thompson put it in pretty simple terms. She said, quote unquote, instead of appreciating black culture from the sidelines, there's this need to own it, to participate in it without the full experience of blackness and the systematic discrimination that comes with it. I truly think that in most cases, A person's desire to be tan is a harmless one, and I'm not condemning that. But I think it's important to be mindful of the cultural significance of tanning, as well as other body enhancements, and to really think about what your intention is behind your desire to change your look. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Also, don't forget to leave a positive review if you really like what you've heard. Now go and make the most of your day.